welcome to the final episode of Series 3 of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. This week we are chatting with Port Adelaide Premiership player Michael Wilson. A two-time Premiership player with Port Adelaide in the Sandful in the mid-90s, Michael transitioned into the Powers AFL side in their debut year of 1997. He played 192 games during his 12 seasons with Port Adelaide, winning the 1997 AFL Rising Star Award, as well as featuring in the 2004 Premiership team. In this episode, Michael speaks about the early days of Port Adelaide in the AFL, the showdown battles with Adelaide, winning the Rising Star Award, the 2004 Premiership win, and his injuries. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my chats with Michael Wilson. Michael Wilson, thank you for joining me on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Great to have your company, mate, and looking forward to reminiscing about your footy journey. Oh, thanks for having me on. Now, before we get into the footy chat, what are you doing with yourself currently, Michael? Uh, I'm a physiotherapist, so um, part of the well, – I did a uh, science degree um, before I was in the AFL, and then I put that on ice for a bit, and then after a bucket load of injuries, um, I started researching that side of things and ended up in a physio degree and, um, yeah, finished it you know the year after I, I, I retired and been working as a physio ever since. Have you done any work in the physio space with Port Adelaide since you retired, Michael, or even with any of the Sandville clubs? Obviously, a really strong competition in South Australia. Yeah, I did um, 10 years in the AFL um, as a physio, and then when COVID came along and the soft cap went from, I don't know, whatever it was, 10 to 7 million or 10.1 to 6.7, whatever it was, uh, I my full-time position sort of vanished, so made redundant and uh, sort of had my own business and worked for the government doing bits and pieces like that ever since. So, um, yeah, so I had, uh, you know, sports physio, if you know how football clubs work and you've seen a lot of the injuries and had them and seen other people start and fail and all that sort of stuff, so it's, it's, it's a sort of second nature. You kind of, you can sort of watch what's going on and know what, what, what to expect. So it was, uh, it was good while I was in there, but... Um, you know, after I guess I was 15 years as a player and 10 years as a physio, uh, all at Port Adelaide, it was, um, yeah, once I sort of stepped out of it, um, it was almost, uh, yeah, it was a nice fresh change. Michael, prior to joining the Port Adelaide list in 1997, you were part of the Port Adelaide side and the Sandful. I think you might have won a couple of premierships. What was the process that you had to go through to get on the inaugural list? Was it an automatic rollover or did you have to go through other, a few other steps to uh, to get that spot on the inaugural list? Yeah, so um, I, I, I was, I was uh, born in Semaphore, which is you know the seaside suburb in Port Adelaide. I grew up in North Haven, which is... You know, 10 minutes from the Albert and Oval, so I hadn't really moved too far and um, went through all their junior ranks. So, you know, I was a six-year-old right through to um, when they had you know, proper teams in the under-15, 17 to 19. So, uh, yep, I was a one of those sort of traditional Port Adelaide guys and um, I was just lucky enough. Um, things sort of fell, fell in line in a way and that uh, I was um, part a year, just over a year into a uni degree, that first one that I did, and um, was playing some good footy. Um, and I had a few different Victorian clubs asking if I could put in the draft. But at that time, around '94, they uh, Port got their second license, so uh, it was a second FANFL license or Adelaide team based license. So I um, uh, Port in their wisdom, which seemed to pay dividends in 2004, they approached myself, Fred Ray, Burgoyne, I think Jew, Blade, um, a number of players and just uh, offered us a, an incentive to stay out of the uh, AFL and play for the SANFL club. So I, the, the bonus for that and why I say that worked well is that I got to play in the 95 and 96 um, Magpies Premiership teams in the lead into the 97 step into the AFL for their first year. So um, yeah, good, good luck, good fortune. Um, and I finished my degree in '96 and rolled in the AFL '97 as well. So it just had a lot of synergy to it, I suppose. Things worked out, all moved in line, and um, got to you know experience some 
true um, FANFL, you know, sort of traditional grand finals, you know, where, um, you know, in those years we played, those two years we beat Centrals who we really couldn't beat during the year and we managed to sneak over the line in the, in the grand final and um, got to do all those traditional things as well, like un- unveil the chimney and um, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it was a fantastic time to be in football and, and especially around Port Adelaide. Right place, right time. Great story. Hey, Michael, I want to ask you about the first pre-season for Port Adelaide. No doubt a hard one, and I guess purely because you're trying to get to up to speed of an AFL club. And was it a real big step up from what you were doing at a Sample level? Um, yeah, I mean, it was. It was um, the same. So David Arnfield sort of sat and was overseeing a lot of what was happening leading into it, leading into the um, uh, the launch into the AFL. So he kind of, we were doing a bit of tra- extra training and testing leading into that and had a fair understanding of where we're at. And, um, there was a there was a shift in the way that we trained, but um, needless to say, we, we were on a big, steep learning curve over those first few years, um, even with having Choco come across and, you know, having the understanding of what other, other teams were doing. Um, it was it, the, the shift that we did probably wasn't, I don't know, probably wasn't enough, but we probably got done what we could get done given the, the time frame we had and the squad that we pulled together and, and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, um, it, you know, it, rather than doing, uh, rather than having, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday night, it was, uh, became a bit more of it. There was morning sessions, there was the occasional day session, and, and, uh, and still the evening sessions. It wasn't until the 2000s that we, we moved into more full time, you know, you know, not having jobs on the side and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah so there was, there was there was a shift, but um, just not not quite as uh, big as you'd expect. I imagine. Yeah. The club's first ever game was against Collingwood at the MCG. Can you recall what the feeling was like in Adelaide with Port Adelaide making their debut in the AFL? Can you recall what the feeling was like at the club? And can you recall much of the, the game itself, you know, your first ever game that you play, but also for the club as well? Uh, look, it, it's all a bit of a blur, I have to say. Um, there was a massive build-up in the pre-season um, for us. It didn't, my, you know, my recollection was there wasn't a heap going on in the media and all that sort of stuff, so... Um, but as we got closer to the first game, that's when um, the you know, the talk started to um, push around. You know, all the families and all the supporters going over to watch the first game, and that, that's where there was a little bit. Um, it's like, we're, we're, oh, we're actually going to the AFL here. You know, like people were actually booking weeks in advance and months in advance to go over to watch a game at the MCG and all this sort of stuff. So that that was kind of the first. Um, first time we went, oh, hang on, we're not just... Because as, as a team, um, we'd gone to Canberra and we'd flown around as a, and the Magpies and played, you know, but it was in front of, you know, a thousand people, something like that. You know, whereas when we, we jump on a plane this time, we're heading over and we had, back in that day, we had to wear bloody suits and ties and all this sort of stuff on, <laughs> on planes, which did not go down well. But, um, you know, there was a bit of hoo-ha about what went on and, um, you know, bucket loads of people were going over in buses and cars and flying over, and um, and that's where you started to get that real understanding of the excitement of you know actually being in the AFL. Um, and uh, you know, I guess the the main memory I have from that game, um, which was really not a game to to, re- to remember, which is <laughs> um, given the result, but uh, was just going running out to the ground and I. I couldn't tell you how many people. There might have been thirty or 40,000 there, which is not much in the MCG, but the it's sort of that Coliseum feel of the, the, the yell of the crowd and the echo that went through it. Really, even though they were booing you, was um, was, was damn exciting. <laughs> you know, it gave you the goosebumps. And, um, uh, yeah, and, and the rest of it, you know what? It, <laughs> it was an experience. Um, first game in the, at the MCG against Collingwood and, um, you know, it didn't go fantastically, but it did sort of set up a bit of a, um, uh, a standard and a bit of a wake-up call for what was to come for the rest of the season. It was only then a couple of weeks later, Michael, where the club celebrated their first ever win in the AFL with a really dominating performance against the Cats. That must have been a memorable moment and no doubt one that sort of instilled a little bit of belief into the, the lineup. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was, um, I guess you'd say, unexpected. Um, uh, but um, we still had, I think, given the Port Adelaide background, as you know, you're always expecting to win. Um, from the SANFL, that sort of drum, uh, drummed in you from you know, the 17, 18, 19-year-old and coming through. It's like you walk in here, uh, we're going to win, you know. So you go into the AFL game um, thinking, yep, we're gonna, we've got this, you know. We, we never knew how well we'd go, but um, uh, we, we were expecting to win. But, uh, you know, a couple of games in to the season, it was getting looking a bit dire. <laughs> I suppose go, oh, gee, what have we got ourselves into here? But uh, that was a huge game for, um, for the club. You know, we had a full crowd. Um, I believe it was played under, under lights. Um, Geelong were, um, they're always around the mark, you know, they're always humming along as a, as a club. So, and they had some absolute stars in their, in their squad. So, um, to, to get over that, the line there was, wasn't just a massive achievement. It was great for the, um, all the, um, staff and players, but the supporters as well, just to, I guess, get the monkey off the back because soon enough, you know, we were, we were heading into a showdown where there was a lot more pressure again and, um, and I think it helps getting that first win out of the way to show that you can actually do it. I think if you head into a showdown and you, you haven't won a game and it's your first show, showdown coming up, your confidence is a bit rattled. So, um, yeah, it, it just did steady the, steady the team um, and show that if we actually had a, um, you know, put a fair effort in that we're, we're good enough. Michael, can you explain to me what the showdowns were like in that very first season? No doubt... A little bit of intimidation there from the Adelaide Crows with little brother coming onto the scene and they wanting to remain the big brother and really bully you guys and be physical to show that they're the number one. What was what was the, the first year like in regards to the showdowns? Uh, going into that showdown, there's lots of history behind, um, you know, Paul going for the, for the license which divided the SANFL and was going to, you know, if you read the papers back then, it was going to ruin the SANFL and football never be the same. And to take the license, you know, there was court cases and people getting sued and um, businesses threatened and people threatened. All sorts happened in this lead up to when Port went, you know what, we've just won, I don't know, eight out of the last 10 premierships in the SANFL. We need to go to the AFL. And um, um, so the, the build up for that long-term history of what, what went on and then leading into that first showdown was, was, was huge. You know, it was still very much an us-against-them mentality. You know, it was uh, the true Port supporters. There weren't too many that had jumped on the bandwagon or, you know, converted over to Port Adelaide at that time. So, and and being Adelaide, who was made up of your Sturge, along Nord, you know, all the teams that, um, hated Port Adelaide or Glenelg in particular being coached by, you know, Glenelg, co- uh, um, Glenelg based people. That, you know, it was just, um, it was uh, a huge challenge to come up and it was very much like, uh, I think it would have, back then it would have been 70, 80% of the supporters would have been for the Crows and the rest for us and um, them being in for a while, um, there was no expectation. Well, I think the heat was all on them, but, um, but uh, we knew it was going to be a fiery encounter and I think the first showdown set the scene for the rest of the showdowns that have been since. I think there's been 50-odd <laughs> since since then and they, there's always something, you know, there's rarely blowouts, but there's always something special about them um, in the lead-in film. But uh, I, I would have to say, unfortunately, for the guys that are rolling around it now, that the heat and the pressure in those first 10 to 20 were just, and the next level, you know, they were like a finals game. And we were told, hey, don't drum it up or anything like that, you know, by the media <laughs> media managers. But you were nervous as buggery going into those games. You know, you, whether you're standing um, a Rashudo, a McLeod, a Edwards or a Jarman or something like that, you know, the names that they had, the players they had, they had exceptionally, like, lots of quality through their, through their squad. And, um, you know, I guess we didn't have the name. We just had that bit of fightness and... Um, uh, you know, it was just a really exciting sort of nerve-wracking week leading into it and a nerve-wracking game as well where you just, you can never, at both teams if you go playing the game and you might be six goals up at three-quarter time, you're like, oh, shivers, we still haven't got this. You know, like yeah. you're still waiting for them to come. So 
Um, and both teams will be sitting down at the, the same time. You can't, you just cannot relax in those games because the tide can turn really quickly, and um, you know, great things happen. Yeah, on, on those days. Michael, was there one showdown that really stood out in your career more than any other? Uh, oh, look, I mean, <laughs> while we're on it on the first one, I kicked the first goal. So, <laughs> that, you know, the first goal in the first showdown, it's always a good question. So, um, you know, I, 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 that, that, that's the one for me. Oh, look, I have to say, you know, there was, I believe that was the uh, Scotty Cummins punch-up one. You know, yes. that was where the haymakers are getting thrown. Um, you know, the Bond brothers playing against each other and, um, you know, hugging at the end and, you know, and, and, and like I said, I got to kick the first goal. And, um, so that, that, that's by far for me, the one that, that stood out. I mean, uh, you know, there was some post-match festivities, a few showdowns later where Josh Carr and Mark Rusciuto went to town on each other at a pub, but, um, right. I wasn't there for that. So that, that, that would have been the most memorable part to the, um, the other aspect of showdowns, but um, but uh, yeah, we, we I got to I have to say with those as well. I thought I did get to rotate through midfield and as a backman, and um, and I had the pleasure. Now I can say that it just killed me at the time, but I, I stood like Vardy up forward was a he hit one game and kicked five or six goals. You know, or uh, Tyson Edwards. You know, just um. Mark Rusciuto through the middle, but by far the the one that kept me up at night in the lead into it was um, standing Darren Jarman. You know he just yeah. um, he he was a you know five to seven touches and he'll kick four goals through. You know like it's he, he just um, was an amazing. He read the play, he used his body well, exceptional skills. Um, yeah, so that that any time outside of that first one, they are the ones that stuck in my head now as. If I sit here long enough, I'll start to dress in quarters. Oh, you know, I'll be like, I'm not yeah. going to sleep tonight thinking about it. So, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, that, that, that was it. That was the ones. They were the, the ones that really um, were most memorable for me. Rebound opportunity. They're caught out. Cummings has got it about 40 minutes from goal. Man runs onto the pocket. That's Wilson. Sharp angle. Certainly about 30 minutes from goal. So off in the way, storming up the ground. Turn the ball over. Exposed. Coming back. Wilson. Kicks hard and kicks truly. 1997 was a memorable year for you, Michael. You were named the AFL Rising Star, a huge award and a great effort in your debut season. Do you feel that having that senior experience in the Sandful with Port Adelaide held you in good stead and made the adjustment to AFL football a little bit easier than probably someone coming in from an under-18 competition? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the 90, 1995, I, I was um, into the port team as a as a backman, I guess. Just, and then in '96, they put me in as a mid. And um, this is in a team that had won, you know, 88, 89, 90, 92, 94, and then '95, you know, off the back line. And then they gave me some responsibility in '96 and tagged probably the best central midfielder for that game. And so. Um, that, I would say I was, as a 19, 20-year-old, hardened to go in and play against men. Um, and um, I was also, uh, I don't know, I just I enjoyed performing for family and crowd and mates and stuff like that. So um, I, I guess I had the buzz of playing in front of big crowds in the, in the uh, final series in the years before. So there was some some, some preparation that was, was in that um, the, the, the Rising Star Award? I didn't actually know about, <laughs> you know, until I got nominated. In that, I think it was the first win. I think I stood uh, Buddha, and um, and I think that's when I got my nomination. I have to, I, I, not hundred percent, but I, I mean, I had a good game against him. And he got kicked in the face by Matty Primus, which meant that um, he, he couldn't see and he was he was slowed up, and that's the only way I actually got the better of him in that game. But otherwise, I was in trouble. But uh, no one, no one else knew that because <laughs> he got kicked in the face, rigged and all, and uh, he just soldiered on like he was just unbelievable as a player and a fantastic bloke as well. But um, but uh, yeah, so I you know I got the nomination, and I went through the year. I had actually struggled through the end of the year. I got quite sick. Um, almost like a glandular fever type um, illness towards the end. Uh, um, 
and so it made it it was quite hard to get through the last six or seven games and um and so that was that was a bit of a challenge in itself but uh it was a great honor like it was you know they put it on at the crown casino and some stars there and i guess getting the award you know it's only afterwards that you go oh it's a pretty bloody good award to get you know you look at the names on the on the list in the years before and then the ones that came after me as well. It's just some real superstars in there. And um, and so it's probably more now that my kids have grown up and watch a lot of footy and collect footy cards and all that sort of stuff where you kind of, where you kind of go, oh, look, there you go. See, I've got, I've got one of those. Yeah, I, I was okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not full, oh, I am full of rubbish. But, um, yeah, but, um, but, you know, look, it, it, that, that's probably where – um, where you get the um, a little bit of prestige and a little bit of um, confidence from and all that sort of stuff where you just go, oh, well, it actually was pretty good. The 1997 Norwich Rising Star nominees provided a bottomless pool of young talent, far and away the best of the award's five-year history. That said, Port Adelaide on baller Michael Wilson was a standout choice as Rookie of the Year. The 20-year-old played all 22 games and represented South Australia after deliberately holding back from the national draft to ensure he'd be part of Port Power's AFL debut. Fast forward a couple of seasons, Michael. In 2001, you did your knee. You had to have a knee reconstruction. And then obviously, uh, that following pre-season, you've upset the knee again and had to have further surgery. Um, how did you deal with that mentally? That would have been a real tough time for you as a, as a young emerging footballer. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I hadn't um, really, you know, I'd had injuries like I, you know, everyone rolls an ankle and dislocates a finger or thereabouts, and um, other than being sick, and I, I, you know, I hadn't really missed. Now, even I had a hernia um, that year, where I was in the first year, and I, uh, you play through and get a surgery after and all that sort of stuff. But I'd never had an injury where I had to really miss any time. Like that was, I played ninety eight games in a row, and I didn't miss a game. In, the years of ninety four, five, and six in the Magpies, and and then you know on the on the edge of um, you know heading to your hundredth game, and uh, we actually had some decent form as well. <laughs> um, you know we we're starting to you know like Choco taking over, and we had Walshy there, and we were just starting to line things up quite well. Andrew Russell had come across, um, and uh, yeah, Sydney wasn't my favourite favourite ground. I um, ruptured my ACL and. That was a shock in itself, um, and um, and then uh, as we rolled into the um, the next year's pre-season, I was just starting the competitive side of stuff and uh, re-ruptured the the ACL. You know, I think I was seven or eight months in, so um, that was pretty devastating because uh, I guess you know looking back, it came as if you're going to look for a silver lining, it came at a and an okay time in that I'd, I'd had a heavy run at things and I was sitting in, in around 2000, 2001 going, I don't even know if I'm enjoying footy anymore. And then, I, um, you know, what, you know, do I want to keep going on with it or what am I doing here? And, and then once I'd had a, a major injury, football injury that is, um, and then another one after, you know, back to back and sitting out, you know, nearly two years of football. I actually realised that I missed it, that I wanted to be a part of it, that I was, you know, that's what I was supposed to be doing. So, um, yeah, so, you know, it's, you know, it's always nice to find reasons why. And, uh, but, you know, I, I really did um, change, I guess my approach changed in a way once I was able to get back into things um, and set, set up for an okay 2003 and, and probably what was the best year or, probably best two top two years of 97 and 2004 so um yeah it did give me that little wake up of nah come on let's enjoy it while you're here and you know i did miss it miss being around all the guys and like the stuff at the time you know 2002 2003 2004 you know you guys had sort of started playing some really good footy and i think you finished on top of the ladder in each of those three years Yep. When you were out, and I'll, this is, I guess, before the premiership of 2004, 2002, 2003, we know how good the Brisbane Lions were in those years. You guys finished on top of the ladder. Do you believe, you know, reflecting back now, that your very best was good enough to be winning a flag in one of those years? And do you see maybe as one of those years a, a missed opportunity to a degree? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I think um, uh, other, you know, like yes, I think I confidently say that we um, match exceptionally well up against Brisbane. And you, you look at the time when we played there, we win one, lose one. It'd always be within two, three, four points. Um, we just had some cracking games against them and we, we just matched up really well and we didn't, whereas other teams um, just would get rolled by them, we, we, we had some really good form. Um, and so if we had of, um, you know, if we had of performed well in 02 and 03 in the finals, um, you know, that's where we, the chokers tag developed, you know, that's, where we, you know, we dropped the first final, which meant we had to go and play Brisbane and in Brisbane, you know, to, to try and get across. And you know, that's setting yourself up. You know, that you're making it real hard for yourself there. You know, you want to hit them once, I reckon. <laughs> you don't want to hit them twice in a final. But um, um, uh, but having said that, they absolutely was a it was a team of superstars. They were well coached, hard nuts, well good leaders, um, stars all over the ground. Um, you couldn't just you couldn't just cover one guy, you know. Like there was, you'd cover Voss and Lappin would just dominate, and then you cover him, and then Ackermanis would step in, and then Black, and you know, there was just yeah. then Brown would tell you up, and you know, so it was just, um, it was they're an exceptional squad and deserve their three, like no doubt whatsoever. But um, I do think um, we 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 could have snuck one extra one in if we, we just needed to hit him at some point and we would have just need another chance at him in, yeah. in, in one of the finals. But history shows, um, you know, you know I mean, potentially we weren't, we, you know, we would have pushed them. Who knows if we would have snuck another one. But we, you know, history will show that, uh, you know, we weren't good enough. We, we probably weren't mentally strong enough. Um, and so that, that, you know, that's probably an answer as to um, – Maybe we wouldn't have stolen the game often, but we did probably deserve to be in at least another grand final around that time. 2004, you had the ultimate success. What was it that changed in 2004 with the footy club? Was it mindset? Was it game structures? Was it new recruits? Obviously, was it learnings from the previous couple of seasons after some really high finishes? And, you know, it must have been satisfying defeating the arch rival of the last couple of years in Brisbane to claim that 2004 flag. Um, there was a, lots of things that changed. Uh, growth as a squad would be the, the main one and suffering a few losses through finals. Um, we were another year stronger with Choco leading Phil Walsh, Dean Bailey, Alistair Clarkson and David Pittman as our coaching group. Um, we had ab- the ab- absolute utmost confidence in Andrew Russell who ran our um, fitness program and um, so we knew we would outrun teams. So that was never the problem. Our skill level was exceptional. Um, we knew we had the game plan. And so, um, but what, I guess there was a few little things that came along. Um, There's some hard player chats that went into that season. Um, I guess I, I distinctly remember um, Damien Hardwick taking everyone aside and just literally going like, you know, you, pointing out, you don't realise how good your squad is. You know, he's just only come across to the team and, and he goes, you just, um, you know, you've got so much talent and the fittest and strongest group we've got. You know, like, you, you're letting yourselves down. This window is going to shut, you know, it's whatever you have to do to, you know, so he gave us a real good chat about that. And most people have probably thought that, but never, it was never like openly put out there in front of, you know, 30 odd guys and went and look around the room and went, you know what? We're letting it, we are letting ourselves down here. So there was, I guess, a change in focus and a change of um, energy in the room from that, if that's not too poxy to say. But, um, and I, you know, like just where you, you just went, well, we have to. Like we just actually, we, we can't let this one go. And um, and so there was, it was um, that was that was probably the, the main thing for me. Um, the other one that went around was, um, well, a couple of things. We pushed on um, Gaia, uh, you know, like Nick Stevens has moved out of the squad who, who just wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily the best team player that you had in the squad that was quite undermining. So that what he, he was sort of moved on out, um, which was pointed out by a few of the leaders and the coaches active. And then the other thing was now, now we had, we had a, a pretty good um, squad and um, 
game plan and we sort of backed ourselves in and, and the year before in the pre, uh, prelim against Collingwood um, we completely changed the, oh, I guess the coaches changed the game plan and uh, all the players kind of we were scratching our head and we went oh we're not sure if that's right and no one spoke up and, and just went nah we just left it and then in the end we, we got done but um, but it, we, you know, we all addressed it in the post-season chat and to the coaches' credit, they, they were like, oh, what went wrong here? And, and, and it seemed like it came through what one player after another went, well, why did we, you know, if we were one of the best, you know, top of the ladder, and why did we change our game plan? Yeah. Why didn't we play an our attacking brand of football and let them try and stop us? And and that was, you know, they took on that. And from that, you know, there was, so there was a lot of things that came from coaches, came from players, the maturity of the squad, and the understanding and the realization that you know the window or the door is shutting, you know. So you know, we're gonna are we gonna finish as the perennial chokers or the you know, the you know or, or are we actually gonna be the first truly successful uh, sort of AFL or Port Adelaide AFL team? And um and that was uh, that was there's you know obviously a few drivers you know and you have to have a lot of bloody luck let's be honest. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know we um when having said that. We, we didn't have Matty Primus. We didn't have Josh Franco. I know Josh Franco was a run up the brown line a couple of years in a row as a mid. Matty Primus, captain, and all Australian ruckman for a number of years in a row. So there was bad luck in that. You know, we we probably we weren't at full strength, but we still um, we still matched it with the you know the best uh, AFL team. You know, but you know, triple premiership team. Um, so. We, we were sort of on. We're on to that that time. His opposite number, number 11, Hardwick, centres to Wilson, 55 metres out. Square is vacant. Doesn't bother about the square. Long goal for Wilson and Port to start. That great day of 2004, the AFL Grand Final day. What do you recall of that day, Michael? What uh, What are your memories? What sticks out uh, from my memory? You guys, you know, played a really good brand of footy over four quarters. Tight first half, but uh, you were able to run out and use that fitness to to take out the flag and win that Premiership Cup? Oh, jeez. Well, I remember not sleeping the night before. The first time ever in my life I had a sleeping tablet was the night before the grand final. I remember the build-up um, to it with security guards sleeping out in front of your lift and all that sort of stuff and hotel and the drive-in on the bus and um, the shaking of the um, MCG with all the music and stuff going on. Um, but, uh, you know, regarding the game, um, I'd had I'd had a, um, I dislocated my shoulder at the start of that year and then I tore my rotator cuff on the other shoulder, um, you know, halfway, a few weeks after that. So I'd sort of battled my way through and um, I guess the <laughs> it wasn't, I had some good um, other finals games and the grand final, I didn't get a kick. <laughs> Actually, no, I had the first kick of the game, but someone gave away a free kick, so that ended up getting handed <laughs> over, and that was it. I think Michael Voss tackled me running as I was running through the middle of the square, so I, I did a drop kick, which was played as holding the ball. But you know, it was for me, it was a game where, um, uh, from my you know, personal side of things, it wasn't my best game at all. I was lucky that um, Choco sort of. I think uh, I think it was McRae. He was kicking two or three goals a game. And he said, "You just take him." And the stats will say from that year, I was good at the rebound out of the back line. And I think he was supposed to stand me, and we both did nothing. So, so I think that was a positive. He didn't kick any goals. I didn't do much. Um, and uh, you know, from a, a team perspective, um, just I remember some star efforts from a lot of the Indigenous guys. I mean. He could have, like, whether it was Peter Bergwijn or Gav Wingen or Choppy, either one of them could have won at Norm Smith for the effort that those guys put in. But Shawnee Bergwijn taking Ackermanis, you know, a young kid taking out a, a Brownlow medalist, and, um, and or even, you know, you don't usually give it to a tagger, but Kane Corn smothered his black. He just did not do anything for the day. So there were just some exceptional efforts across across the board. And, you know, then you have that one person that stands up and bags some goals that Toby Thurston sort of came out of came out of nowhere and just started nailing goals. And um, so there was some real, like, exceptional efforts across the board. I think the – for me, I always – I look at the final score and um, and I think it, it didn't feel like – once again, it didn't quite feel like we were that far ahead. I do remember it was closer 
then you know it was really close to three quarter time. Um, but um, it wasn't until you know when Adam Kingsley um, kicked the goal with maybe ten minutes to go. That's where I actually went. Yeah, we've got this. You know, King is kicking a goal. Maybe something must be going right. So, um, so there was you know there was just looking back at it, there was we were lucky that um, we we sort of had the last. It was probably like six or seven minutes of game time or 10 minutes in total where we could actually go, we've got this. We're actually going to win a grand final. You know, we're going to win this premiership. It was just, uh, it was amazing. And, you know, it was you know, close to three-quarter time, but the way, we, we, the fact that we backed ourselves in and we played our style of footy, we could stick five goals on the board in, you know, six or seven minutes. You know, that's the way, the type of goal as we had. And, um, you know, everything everything came off on that day and it was a, as a, as a great result. <laughs> you mentioned about playing down back on Craig McRae. Now, can you remember much about the big scuffle, the big haymakers thrown between Wakeland and Alistair Lynch? It was uh, certainly footy folklore and one well-remembered uh, part of the grand final in 2004. Did you get involved? Were you thinking about getting involved? Um, what was going through your mind? What, were you, what do you recall from, from that incident? I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't near that. I don't know how. Like this is how. Like I usually I get half assed involved. Sorry, I'm not sure I'm allowed to swear on this, but I get half involved in all that, <laughs> in that sort of stuff. But um, I missed the one where um, Jonathan Brown just smashed Josh Carr. You know, I missed that. <laughs> and then um, when uh, <laughs> when he's swinging at um, and he's swinging at Wake. You know, like there was that many haymakers going that not one of them connected. I mean, <laughs> I reckon he'd be embarrassed looking at that now, going, "How can I not nail one of those?" But you know, I, I was I was in no man's land for that as well. The funniest thing that comes to that, I think, from both things to look at is those two big. Like, uh, Lynchy knew he'd drained his quad, so he was out. So he knew he was having to go off. Wake had an inkling that he hurt himself, so he got, he was actually knew something was going to come on. He goes. He goes, I reckon he's hurt himself here. Something's going to happen. And sure enough, he starts just going to go to town and try and take him down with him. But um, for me, the, uh, you look at it and you see, um, <laughs> I think it was Akin Mattis and Sean Burgoyne standing like 10 metres away and they see these big boys swinging and they go, they look at it and they turn away and look at each other and just start pushing and shoving each other so they don't, like they didn't get involved. And I think that was probably, it was the funniest thing, but the smartest thing those two were done because, uh, little boys like that should not get involved in the in the big boy stuff, and uh, <laughs> I think we would have been a few guys down if if they had even attempted to get in in the middle of that. Great sort of memory from that grand final, besides the actual footy that was played. Hey mate, I want to ask you: with Matty Promise not being a part of that side due to that knee injury he sustained early in the year, was that a tough one to see him miss out? Because obviously he was the captain of the side, and then as we know, Treaders took on the mantle as that the leader for the rest of the season. But was that a tough one not to see Matty Primus, who's been there for a long time, not being part of that one? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, even to this day, you know, like we've, uh, Matty sort of, you know, finished, you know, all of, just a gun player, all Australian. You know, they had to change the rules to stop him from doing and dominating in the middle of the ground. That, you know, that, that's where the rule came in. You can't hold your hand out, bend off and tap. And, um, yeah. He led led really well. Um, to see him go down, I had, I guess, a little bit of an insight into it because I was rehabbing my second ACL in 2002 when the team was humming and top of the ladder and I'm going, oh, I'm sitting here going, I'm going to miss this. Like, they are on fire. How can they not win a premiership? And I stress to the eyeballs that you're going to be sitting it out. Um, but like I said, we had, we had Josh Franco and Matty Primer sitting sitting on the side there and, and um, you felt for them because, you know, that's, I guess you, as a footy player, other than getting wiped out and never been able to play again or missing out on that premiership is probably the worst, worst case scenario. It's just, it's just your nightmare situation. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, they, those guys have been on the list right from the start. You know, they were, you know, let us off in 97 and were key mid for us, you know, they just like they're the ones that really dominated and got us got our our um, confidence up through the midfield, um, and gave, and so that just to have them sit out, um, it was yeah, it was hard. But I mean, you can't. 
um, you know, you can't give out. It'd be nice to be able to give out an extra couple of medals and things yeah. like that. You probably wouldn't take it, would you? Because you you want to be on the ground playing and things like that. But uh, yeah, it, it is tough. It was um, not uh, not something I'd know how to how to manage at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I know in 2007 I um, ruptured my Achilles in the prelim final, so I, I didn't play in that the, the grand final then. But Thank God for that. I didn't get my name on the team sheet for that one. But, <laughs> but you know, that, that once again, I, I was bearing, looking down the barrel of sitting out on the grand final. Um, it's not a great, not a comfortable situation to be in. Yeah, unfortunately, each grand final that you hear about, there's always those hard luck stories. But I've got no doubt, Michael, that even though that Franco and Primus didn't get that premiership medallion around their neck, they would have been extremely proud of the achievements of the footy club that day and would have been happy to be celebrating along with the 22 that were on the field. Let's look to 2008, which was pretty much your last season of AFL football. Injuries got you in the end, a lot of niggles along those back couple of seasons. Um, And your shoulders caused you a lot of concern. I I did read that you uh, had a time where those shoulders were popping out quite easily, dislocating from the joint. So that must have been a really um, hard time trying to get that body right in those last couple of seasons. Yeah, well, that was more the 2004. So I think I tackled um, Sam Mitchell, uh, Amy, and he sort of lifted and rotated his arms and it dropped, my shoulder popped out and I was like, Oh, this is good because I couldn't feel my arms does. But and Shane Crawford, in his wisdom, decided to start smashing my shoulder, which, which is right. just fantastic. That, that so he sent me off, um, and uh, because I'd sat out the two years with the ACLs, um, there was no chance of me missing surgery and miss out the rest of the year. So I just kind of had to, you know, suck it up, princess, and off you go. And then it was. It got to a point where it just, you know three or four or five times a game, you tackle, you go even like lift your arms above your head to stand a mark and you feel this little shift and clunk. And, um, so that was pretty uncomfortable. But because it was my left, I kind of got away with it a bit. Uh, I'm right-handed. But then probably about six weeks after I dislocated my left, my right rotator cuff, which is probably the more painful one. and probably still to this day is the sorest one. Like I had a rotator cuff repair. I had two shoulders about four weeks apart after 2004 and I just um, so once they were operated on and sorted out after that year it's a slow recovery but uh, they weren't horrendous they were probably okay like after that um, uh, it definitely the reason 08 2008 was my last year I you know I had 10 or 12 different operations through my career like collapsed lungs and it, it was the Achilles like rupture, when you have all your surgery on your right knee and you rupture your left Achilles, yep. all of a sudden your left side sort of carries your right side in a way. That shouldn't be that way if you rehab it well, but that's kind of how it ends up and you don't get your calf power back on your left, on the Achilles side. And so what, what ended up happening was we are about to go into the showdown. I'd, I'd sort of, they rushed, I guess I got rushed back in because we, Hadn't started that well in um, 2008 after making a grand final. Rushed in. We won a game. Then we lost a few. I was terrible. I was really underdone. I hadn't really... I played a couple of halves in some NFL games. Not really had a touch. Then went into the AFL. And then I, I knew I was struggling. So I was sort of... We had this plan of sit a few games out, come into the AFL and play the showdown. And I, I went into the training and we did a competitive drill and I stepped one way and my knee gave way on me again and I went, uh, you know, that was it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I was I was more I was worried about my Achilles on my right knee just gave way again and I and it wasn't it was it, it was just I needed surgery on it but it was um it was just a bridge too far for me um so uh, that was the that was yeah, I mean it was a, it's a hard decision to make to retire it's like we were in the position of talking about do we go another year contract wise and that was it that was that was me done hey michael i've really enjoyed our chat and your honesty about your football journey with the port adelaide power it's been absolutely terrific to uh, to listen about one of the i guess newer sides in the competition in those early years now as we're at the end of the podcast something i always do with my guests is i give them a few quick handball questions and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five names. Um, you, if I'd love it if you could share a phrase or uh, just a word to describe um, these five individuals that you've had 
some sort of connection to over your football journey. The first one I'm going to ask you about is Warren Treadray. Professional. Dotted the I's, crossed the T's. Um, yeah, just uh, he was he just he had a high expectations and made sure he um, he got everything out of himself and did everything right. So yeah, very professional. What about Choco Williams, the premiership coach? Oh, I don't know if he knew one worth Choco. Oh, he, he he's a bit of a madman, but he's a genius as well. Um, and uh, he's a good father figure as well. Like like uh, he, yeah, I, I, a lot of respect. A yeah, uh, lot of respect for Choco. Absolutely. Chad Corns. Oh, strong man. <laughs> yeah, yes, the big big yeah, the big stud. Um, um, yeah, just just. He was. Everyone called him you know, he's the big strong, but he, he was like not just like you muck around in the gym and stuff like that, but strong on the ground. You know, like just he had once again very high expectations of himself, but worked bloody hard to get to what he could do, and uh, and he played everything with so much strength, like his own spots that he's played in. Yeah, Gavin Wanganane, terrific player at Essendon, but also you know he was a great at Adelaide as well. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Uh, the little master, I suppose. Yeah, I, um, I, it's a hard one with Gav, isn't it? Because he's probably his most quietly spoken person. But um, you know, I, I'd probably say he's the best player I ever got the pleasure of playing with. You know, in in your squad, um, it just uh, not man a few words, but could turn it on and just do some really special stuff, yeah. And the last one I'll throw, which was Peter Burgoyne. Oh, Lips. Um, yeah, oh, um, Lips. No, he was, oh, he was, for me, he was, a, I'd say, a big game player. Um, so when the finals come around or when stuff needed to be done, he just, just got the job done. So, yeah. Um, what would you? I don't know. I'm not sure what you give lips. Uh, <laughs> uh, I haven't got one one word for him either. Yeah, I'm a bit, bit too wordy, aren't I? <laughs> That's all right. Who is the best character or characters that you come across in your time at Port Adelaide? And I guess when I talk about characters, someone you can have a bit of fun with, that banter, maybe a, a quiet beer or two off the ground as well. Yeah, I know this is more of a uh, sort of an AFL show, but. If you want the best character that you'll 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 come across, some of the Magpies guys, absolute legends and um, characters. So you, Tim Jennifer stands out by far. As if you want to go somewhere and um, just end up crying, laughing with a sore stomach, he's a man to go with. Uh, Paul Rosonico, who you may or may not know, but he was a Magpies guy. He spent some time at Collingwood. Um, he has for the last, I don't know, 10 or odd years, um, he has done the interchange bench for the AFL, poor AFL team. And he's an absolute, uh, every AFL guy that ever comes in contact with him will know what I'm talking about. Um, he's one of the funniest guys you've ever come across. Yeah. David Armfield fits in that zone. So he's the fitness trainer from the, back in the 80s and 90s. You know, a PE teacher became the fitness coach who became an AFL um runner that everyone hated to then having um, uh, now I think he works for leading teams you know he's taken on a leadership role but those those, those particular guys as far as um, having a beer and a laugh with um, who have had that crossover from SANFL to a little bit of AFL and things like that they're, they're, they're probably the ones that stand, that stand out but um, uh, I think if you're rolling through the Adelaide Hills and you can find Roger James, get him off the tractor off his apple farm. Um, he, he's a good bloke to um, have, a, have a beer with as well. He's an absolute um, a legend of a guy. So oh. there's, a, there's, a lot, there's a lot around in football, I think. The thing about football clubs is they have very much the same characters. doesn't matter. You just, you know, someone gets traded, drafted or retires and there's someone takes on that personality in that team and that's, that's what you love about sports and teams and you know, you'll you'll have that larrikin. You'll have the the bloke who's too serious. There's the bloke who just spends all the time in the gym. You know, there's the same characters around the clubs, and um, yeah, it's, it's a great environment to be around, and especially especially when you're winning. <laughs>
And the last one I'm going to throw at you, Michael, is who's your hardest opponent? Earlier on in our chat, you spoke about just having nightmares, standing next to and manning up the great Darren Jarman. You know, who was the one that sticks out? Was it Jarman? Was there anyone else that caused you a few headaches in your time, that toughest opponent? As far as a goal-kicking forward, um, he was the hard one. The, the guys that I found the hardest were the round-shouldered, barrel-chested, hard-running guys and um, I hit a few of them <laughs> when I had to go in the middle <laughs> because every time they go, oh, he's a tough nut, you can go and stand him. I'm like, oh, geez, you know, this is going to be hard. So early on it was Robert Harvey. I had to stand him for a few and he was the type of guy that could run until he was sick and then he'd get up and run again. So uh, how you face that, I don't know. I still to this day don't know how. Like you, you think he's hammering himself like that while I'm hanging off him and he's still going. I, I didn't know. How to, you know, he, he was absolutely um, impossible guy to stand. But um, the Rashudo and Voss, you know, and Harvey, they, they're, they're the three. You know, they, they, they're just big, strong, exceptionally skillful, read the play, um, can play forward or just dominate through the midfield. Uh, and they can ragdoll you. <laughs> so, um, and, and just, they, you know, they, they could just run and run all day. So, so they were the guys that, that that style of top player was always the hardest one that um, to stand and um, but you know I, I'm, I'm I still can you know as I was saying my kids watch footy over there I used to have to stand him I used to have to stand him you know but they're all got the you know, three brown lows and three medals and all this sort of stuff and uh, God knows what else but um, you know they, I still I, you know they were hard blokes to stand but super proud I got the opportunity to, to sort of play on those guys. Michael Wilson, a big thank you for joining me on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Great to catch up with you. Great to reminisce about the early years of the Port Adelaide Football Club. And I really do appreciate your time. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on. Oh, this is a good burst. They're looking much better bringing the ball back into play from behind than the Hawks. Look at them go. Wonderful set piece. Wilson off a bounce. 55 out. Long kick. Carries. Carries. Carries for a goal. That's the end of episode number 30 and the final episode of series three. We will be returning with series four on August 30th. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch them all on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. We are on all the social media platforms, so drop us a line on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter on any particular episode you've enjoyed or a guest you would love to hear. Next episode in Series 4, we will catch up with champion Carlton Utility, Anthony Kudafidis. It's rugged, it's good, solid AFL football.